now I understand why Pastor T wants me to preach today, uh, because this message is going to be countercultural and radical. I thank God and uh, Pastor Tim for giving me this uh, wonderful opportunity to preach God's word today. It's a great uh, honor and uh, privilege uh, to stand before this wonderful congregation. My wife Esther and I and our two boys, Ricky and Ronnie, have been um, blessed uh, by this congregation. We have been part of this congregation for four years now. Uh, Thank you all. Uh, Let's pray. Father God, your word is enduring, active, and life-giving, sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, whenever we hear your word, Lord, we are prompted to obey. Holy Spirit, bring us your word today. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Christ's name I pray, and all God's people say, Amen. We have been looking at how we can flourish in exile in this sermon series from First Peter. A few weeks ago, Pastor Tim preached on conduct shaped by hope. Today, I'm going to preach on conduct shaped by the gospel. Conduct shaped by the gospel. For some, flourishing in a world that is temporary or flourishing in a world that is passing and fleeting may seem unreasonable and unrealistic. But for those who live life that is shaped by the gospel, this can be true. So, the big idea of today's sermon is, may our conduct in exile be shaped by the gospel. May our conduct in exile be shaped by the gospel. Please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 25. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 25. As you turn your Bibles, let me summarize today's passage. As we know, Peter writes this letter to the exiles in modern-day Turkey. In verses 11 and 12, Peter warns the exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh and to keep their conduct honorable, so that the unbelievers may see their good deeds and glorify God. In verses 13 through 17, Peter warns the exiles to be subject to every human institution, especially to government authorities, and do good so that they may put to shame or silence the ignorance of foolish people. In verses 18 through 20, Peter warns the exiles who are slaves to be subject to their masters and do good as this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Finally, in verses 21 through 25, Peter writes about the gospel. Jesus is our substitute and our example, so that our life in exile and our conduct in exile be shaped 
by the gospel. Here is how I have outlined the passage. Our conduct first in relation to the unbelievers. Next, our conduct in relation to human institutions. Under that first, emperors, governors, rulers, government authorities, and then masters, employers, or business owners. Finally, Christ is our substitute and example. First, let's look at our conduct in relation to the unbelievers. Our conduct in relation to the unbelievers. Verses 11 and 12. Verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So far in this letter, Peter talked about who Christians belong to and who are Christians. Thoroughly grounding in the gospel. For example, in the first chapter, Peter writes, According to his great mercy, not according to our merits, but according to his great mercy, he has caused each and every one of us to be born again to a living hope. Note here, he has caused us to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He has caused us to be born again, clearly tells us that we belong to Him. And in the next chapter, the verses that are preceding today's passage, we read, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people of His own possession. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This clearly says who we are. Isn't this wonderful? We are a chosen race. Not by our merits, by his grace and mercy, he has caused us to be born again. And then, after clearly stating who we belong to and who we are in a lovingly and caringly way, Peter turns our attention towards our conduct. In verses 11 and 12, we see two imperatives. First, to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Second, to keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. First, to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war against your soul. This is something serious. Otherwise, Peter would not urge or plead. He's urging us, he's pleading us to abstain from the passions of the flesh. And this is not the first time. Peter writes about the passions earlier in first chapter verse 4. Peter writes like this, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your igno former ignorance. Again in verse 3, chapter 4 verse 3, Peter writes, For the time that is past suffices, not anymore, 
for doing what the Gentiles or the unbelievers want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, drinking parties and lawless idolatry. Once you did all these or some of these because of your former ignorance. You fulfilled all these fleshly desires before your conversion experience. Not anymore. But these desires or passions are going to wage war against you. Some of you are experiencing that right now in your life. The war, the temptation, the battle. And you know the weight of it. Don't give any space in your life for drinking or partying, lying and stealing or, or envying or boasting, gossiping or slandering. You need to abstain from the passions of the flesh. How can we abstain from the passions of the flesh? At the beginning of this chapter, Peter gives us an answer. And Pastor Tim talked about this last week. Replace your passions of the flesh with a new passion. Replace your passions of the flesh with a new passion. A passion for pure spiritual milk for God's word. How much importance do you give to God's word? Do you hear God's word? Read God's word? Meditate? Study, memorize, and apply. You need to cultivate a habit of reading and applying the word of God in your life. Because our habits shape our hearts. Or our habits shape our passions. Replace your passions of the flesh with a passion for God's word. And thereby you can abstain from the passions of the flesh. Next, to keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Verse 12 says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Honorable can be translated as beautiful. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles or among the unbelievers, beautiful, so that when they see, the unbelievers, when they see, and when they speak against you as evildoers, in other words, when they slander by doing good works, they can see and glorify God. Unbelievers may slander for two reasons. First, when we really do evil and awful deeds. When there is an inconsistency between our walk and talk. Second, as we read in chapter 4 verses 3 to 4, when we do not join them, when we do not join them in sensuality or passions or drunkenness and lawless idolatry, they malign us or they slander us. Either way, it is clear to us, unbelievers are watching us. Atheist turned Christian Lee Strobel once said, and it has been paraphrased uh, like this. For those of us who call ourselves Christians, we need to know the hypocrisy meter is scanning our lives. 
for those of us who call ourselves Christians, we need to know the hypocrisy meter is scanning our lives. And the world, especially the unbelievers, can read it. So we better be careful. What we need to do, as we just looked, we need to abstain from the passions of the flesh. When we abstain from the passions of the flesh, our conduct becomes honorable and our deeds become good. When our deeds become good, do you see here what happens next? Verse 12, second part. They may see, unbelievers may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. On the day of visitation could refer to the day of the Lord or the day of judgment. The day of visitation uh, in Acts 15.14 is referred to uh, the day of the Lord. For example, Acts 15.14 we read, Simeon, that is Peter, has related how God visited the Gentiles. When God visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his own name, we see the Gentiles, by believing in Christ, they glorify God. So there is a possibility unbelievers, seeing our good deeds, can be saved and they can glorify God. The day of visitation could also refer to the day of judgment because in Philippians chapter 2, 11, we read, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Belief or no belief, unbelievers will glorify God. Here's what we have looked so far, our conduct in relation to the unbelievers. We need to abstain from the passions of the flesh and to keep our conduct honorable so that the unbelievers may see our good deeds and glorify God. Next, our conduct in relation to human institutions. Today's text talks about two institutions. One is government, employers, governors, rulers, government authorities, all will come under that. And another is workplace, masters employers and business owners. In the next chapter, in First Peter chapter 3, Peter talks about family. This is also, uh, this comes under human institutions, but this will be dealt next Sunday. Verses 13 through 17. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it to be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. We belong to God and we are his people. We are a royal priesthood. We are already kings and priests. But we are sojourners and aliens on earth until Christ establishes his kingdom on earth completely. He has already started 
but not completed yet. We live in the already but not at space and time. As we read, we are free, but we have an obligation. We are servants of God. We are subject to God. But as servants of God, we are also called to be subject to every human institution, which includes human government. There is a tension, right? And this is good. Otherwise, we will consider ourselves subject to God only and we will distance ourselves from human government. Be subject. It's an imperative command. Be subject refers to submit. Submit to the emperor or to the governor. One theologian writes, submit is better understood as the negative of withdraw. We are not supposed to withdraw, but to submit. The text gives us at least two reasons for this. First, be subject for the Lord's sake. Be subject for the Lord's sake. You are not subjecting to the emperor or to the governor for your sake or for the emperor's sake or for the governor's sake, but for the Lord's sake. Why for the Lord's sake? A parallel text in Romans is very helpful. Romans chapter 13 verses 1 through 2. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. There is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Christians, we need to believe this and accept This, that anyone in governing authority as instituted by God, whether we like them or not, sometimes it is difficult for us to accept this. We should not forget that we live in a fallen world. And we will definitely see the consequences of the fall in government, politics and public square. But for the Lord's sake, we need to be subject to the emperor or to the governor. Even to the president of the United States, to the governor of Illinois, to the mayor of Chicago, even to the prime minister of India. I have been a hard time to accept the present prime minister of India. And he is from a Hindu nationalist government. Because... It is against minorities, especially against Christians and Muslims. In India, there is no freedom of religion and persecution is rising in India. As I was preparing this sermon, God spoke to me that I should accept this present government in India and to submit to it. Because first, God is sovereign. Second, this present government has been instituted by God. First, be subject to governing rulers for Lord's sake. Next, be subject to governing rulers because verse 15 says, this is the will of God. For Lord's sake, you need to be subject. Next, for this is the will of God. According to verse 4, the purpose of ruling authorities is to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. This is an ideal purpose, punishing those who do evil, 
by fair trial and by just fitting punishments and praising those who do good. Here, Peter writes, this is the will of God that by doing good, the ruling institutions have been instituted to praise God or to praise those who do good. So by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of the foolish people. You can put to silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. What good deeds can silence the ignorance of foolish people? Let's see what today's text tells us. Verse 17. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. And honor the emperor. Honor everyone. Or respect everyone. Irrespective of race or color. If you are coming from India, irrespective of caste, I am speaking to myself now. Honoring everyone can silence the ignorance of foolish people. Love the brotherhood. Love the brotherhood of believers. We see splits and quarrels in the church. Sometimes we are not able to even love our fellow Christians. This is not a good deed. This is an evil deed. This cannot silence the ignorance of foolish people. But loving the brotherhood does. Next, fear God. The fear of God that helps us to abstain from the passions of the flesh. And the fear of God that helps us to keep our conduct honorable. And the fear of God that helps us to honor everyone. The fear of God that helps us to love the brotherhood. And the fear of God that helps us to even silence the ignorance of foolish people. Finally, honoring the emperor, silence the ignorance of foolish people. We need to be subject to every human institution, especially to government authorities, and do good so that we may put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Next, we turn to masters. Subject to masters, verses 18 through 20. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it, if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. It is easier to use here servants instead of slaves. Peter refers here to household slaves. Slavery is a sensitive topic, at least for those who are familiar with slavery in the United States. When we read a passage like this, we immediately try to connect the slavery in the first century with the slavery in the 19th century and it breaks our hearts. Slavery is cruel. No doubt about it. You should know this. Slavery is not ordained by God. It is invented by human beings. 
when god created human beings he created them in their own image in his own image and after his likeness and god blessed them and commanded them to be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth did god command human beings to have dominion over fellow human beings no no way our god would never do that the new testament is very clear there is neither jew nor greek there is neither slave nor free there is no male and female for we are all one in christ jesus slavery was pra- practiced in the first century and slavery was practiced in the 19th century and slavery is still practiced in different forms like human trafficking for sex and forced labor in some parts of the world slavery of all forms reminds us that we live in a fallen world this is not the way it is supposed to be but there is an encouragement slavery of all forms can be redeemed now because of the gospel and slavery of all forms will be redeemed completely when christ comes again in all his glory and you may still ask why peter or paul was silent about slavery why peter and paul did not speak against slavery or try to stop stop slavery these are some real and uh, legitimate questions first let's consider the socio political situation of roman empire pastor tim offered me some helpful insights one third of the roman empire were slaves slaves was not race based slaves could even become very significant and slaves could become wealthy members of society and even could achieve very high ranks within civil government and even they could buy themselves out of slavery people sold themselves to slavery if they couldn't pay a debt it was usually temporary and not for life when you have at least one third of the population in slavery and the person going into slavery could be a family member or neighbor there are different societal expectations for how slaves should be treated there would be an uproar for mistreatment but what we experienced in the 19th century and what peter and paul experienced in the first century was completely different and next if you even carefully read paul in letters or peter's letters you will notice how paul and peter did not command or validate slavery they do not completely ignore it as well their approach to slavery is different they teach the slaves how to live in this socio political reality we should remember christians are still minorities in the greco roman world any attempts to fight against the powerful roman regime could only lead to a setback in proclaiming christ and planting churches and discipling believers because proclaiming christ and planting churches and discipling believers are 
Paul's and Peter's priorities, they were able to teach them how to live in this socio-political reality by submitting to the masters. As a matter of fact, Peter writes this letter with discipleship as his focus. Discipling the elect exiles. Let's see now what the text says. Verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. You may say to yourself, yeah, I get it, this is fair. We need to honor and respect everyone, including masters. If Peter would have stopped with the first part, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, we would have settled with that. But Peter goes on to write, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. This is difficult, right? It is easy to be subject with all respect to masters who are good and gentle. It's not going to hurt us. It's not going to cost us something. But to be subject to the unjust masters and to endure sorrows, no one likes to be subject to the unjust masters. No one likes to endure sorrows while suffering unjustly. In verses 18 through 20, twice we read, for this is a gracious thing. For this is a gracious thing. This is not only gracious, this is important as well in the sight of God. Which one is gracious and important? Being subject to the unjust masters and to endure sorrows while suffering unjustly. I'm glad because Peter talks about the how and the why as well. Let's see how first. How to be subject to your masters. How to end your sorrows while suffering unjustly. Verse 19 says, For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God. When one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Mindful of God. Not mindful of the earthly master, but mindful of both the earthly and the heavenly master. And Paul's exhortation to Ephesians is very helpful. In Ephesians chapter 6 verses 5 through 7 we read, Born servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. As you would obey Christ, obey your earthly masters. Not by the way of eye service as people pleases, but as born servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to men. As one would submit to Christ, he or she, the slaves should submit to their masters because this is the will of God. Therefore, mindful of God, fearing the Lord, for the Lord, for the Lord's sake, one needs to submit to his or her masters and endure sorrows while suffering unjustly. Let's see why. Verse 20. For what credits is it if when you sin and are beaten for it and you endure? But if you but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Peter here talks about credit. In other words, reward. 
or inheritance, blessing. There is no credit if you sin and are beaten for it and you endure that. But there is credit if when you do good and suffer for it and endure that. Here is the motivation. When you submit to your masters and unjust masters, mindful of God, and you suffer and you endure your sufferings, there is a reward waiting for you. You will receive the inheritance as your reward. Well, how this relates to us? Consider your workplace, your employer, or your business owner, or your boss, or your supervisor, your team leader, or your project manager who are not Christians. There are chances that you can, they can misread your Christian beliefs, values, and practices. Sometimes you may find in situations where you need to take a stand for your faith and you are mocked or bullied or even treated unfairly. Our text today clearly tells us how we need to respond. We need to respond by submitting to such people, mindful of God, endure sufferings. My dad is with the Lord now, and my dad was a Christian. This is what I wrote about him, and this has been inscribed on his tombstone. Loved the Lord passionately, delighted in God's word unfailingly, devoted to God in prayer fervently, served the Lord faithfully, walked with integrity, and lived a life of simplicity. My dad was a commercial tax officer in India. If you want to become a millionaire in India, this is an easy path. Lots of corruption, but because of his Christian faith, he decided not to accept any bribes. He was ridiculed and mocked. He was transferred from one office to another, but he faithfully endured all these sufferings. He never complained. He never gave up. In my dad's memorial service, one of, the, one of his colleagues testified how through my dad he came to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior and how he decided to live a life of integrity even in the same department. We need to be subject to our master's and do good because this is a great